surely we are not worshipping the same Jesus if this is how you feel about this religion. For me, there's no one correct religion. They brought the gospel to us. It was not a thing that we had. How do you as a, a Christian of African descent negotiate with the history of, of your religions? Churches do a lot of good, however, what I believe, you might not believe in that, but that doesn't make me bad or you bad. You're listening to Two Bees in a Pod, and I am Bilola. And I am Bilionga, and this is a podcast about the immigrant experience in the U.S., discussing our takes on various topics. Including negotiating cultures, fitting in, staying connected, learning and unlearning the good, the bad, and the ugly. Today, our episode is titled Losing My Religion, and Bilola and I are going to be discussing our journey, our process, deconstructing from Christianity, which I have definitely talked about on the podcast before. I don't know if you have mentioned it, but <laughs> that's what this episode is going to be about. And I just want to, you know, give a, a brief introduction, right? It's not going to be us just talking about how much we hate Christianity. Like, that's not what this episode is going to be about, right? If you want to hear me, you know, bashing Christianity, you can send me a DM and I'll I'll leave you a voice note. But that's just, you know, that's not what this episode is going to be about. It's more about asking questions and, you know, hopefully asking questions that you can ask yourself and that we will attempt to answer. So as usual, we'll start with an icebreaker and... This one is Bible themed, right? To stay on theme of the of the episode. So, what is your favorite unhinged Bible story? Um, and so just to be different, because we already talked, we said most people talk about Job, which is fairly unhinged. Mm-hmm. But I would go with like the the Bible story about the ten plagues, where we end up in the last plague was killing all the firstborn sons. Like, what was the reason? <laughs> That's what I want to know. What was the reason for that? I it's hard to reconcile. Like adults do something, and you know God is mad at them and is taking out on like innocent children. Children are assumed to be innocent. They can't do so. Why are we? If you and I have a problem, why are we bringing the child into it? Yeah, is the way that I look at it. I agree, and I I feel like that's not the only place that happens in the Bible where it's like they're killing the child. as a punishment (laughs) for the parent but it's like why why is the child in it but I think it's more of this you know what we have to think back to the culture right at the time when these texts were being written it's like they said firstborn son specifically for a reason because it's about like your lineage and you know the child was not just a child right I get it but I'm just saying if you offended why don't we just take it out with the offended party? Yeah. Like we talk about David, like David, little lustful mm-hmm. man setting up somebody to be killed to take his wife. Why couldn't they just say so their beef? Like, yeah. And to and moi. Why are we bringing <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, but I mean, there's no shortage of unhinged stories in the Bible. But my favorite one, because it's kind of funny. So it's the, the story is in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. There's this prophet, Elisha, and I don't, it's been such a long time that I've read the full context of the story, but essentially he's going, you know, somewhere. He I think he's in some hostile territory, right? 
and there's the <laughs> there's a group of youths. That's what the the text this. I mean, my version that I I'm reading from it describes it as a, a bunch of youths, right? Kids, and they're insulting him, right? And it says they're different versions, but it's basically if I were to translate it into modern English, it would be like the kids are shouting at him, go on with your bald-headed ass, something like that, right? They're basically insulting his bald head. And Elisha gets so enraged that he calls on the name of the Lord and he curses these kids, these youths. It doesn't say how old they are, just says they're youths. And two bears come out of the woods and maul, it gives the specific number of kids that they maul, 42 kids. So <laughs> just for calling him a ball head. And like, if you have a ball head, why is that insult? But it's like, the story is just so unhinged for so many reasons. Because first of all, what you said, right? Like, why is that, <laughs> why is that making you so angry that some kids are insulting your ball head? That's the first thing. Like, sir, you need to control your temper. The second thing is that he's supposed to be a prophet of the Lord. Like, why are you out here just, you know, bringing curses? You're supposed to be a righteous dude. And then the fact that the, <laughs> the punishment did not fit the crime. At because, all. Why are you sending bears to <laughs> you? Because but I'm still on, but if you have a bald head, why is it an insult? Oh my gosh. Like that story is so funny to me. And the fact that they specify. <laughs> And he called on, so wait, when he called on the Lord, so the Lord sent the bears. That's the part I want to understand. So that's the implication that, it, for me, that's what the story is saying, right? Because the two bears did not just come out of, like, it wasn't random. It wasn't a random bear. <laughs> but the, this is my question, right? Apart from the unhingedness of the story, <laughs> what were the, the math is not mathing. Because there are two bears and there are at least 42 kids. Two bears cannot maul 42 kids at the same time. So that how... I mean, it didn't say how many hours they took now. But they were not... Someone that must have been running away. Like, I'm black... Assuming they're like black bears. Aren't black bears like strong? Like, no, you're, they, you're thinking of grizzly bears. No. I thought somebody on Twitter was really afraid of bears. I know way more about bears. No, than- black bears are smaller than grizzlies. I really think the other day it was like it was like for one play dead, for another one yes, something, no. and then for polar bears just say your last prayers because <laughs> well, I mean it definitely was not polar bears because this was <laughs> this was somewhere in you know in Middle East or you know so, somewhere around there. But my question: Why you are you doing math in the Bible? There's there's no <laughs> Bible math. There's Bible math, and there's no. <laughs> Because you've started talking about this and I started thinking like, so really though, which animals made it on the ark? <laughs> That's Bible math, okay? So Bible math is two bears mauling 42 kids simultaneously. <laughs> Bible math is Noah feeding every species of plant, animal, fungus, bacteria, uh, protozoan, everything onto the ark but let, yes. let's how did how did animals are living how did aquatic animals survive on the ark but they were Does just swimming pool? outside the freshwater ones how that that's no let's think about this thing because rain right okay it's a flood did the did the fresh water mix with the marine water no it's a valid question <laughs> anyway i'm sorry guys we're already off we're already off on a tangent okay uh, <laughs> forgive us so 
we want to get into the main content, right? I've mentioned on this episode before that, on this episode, on this podcast before that, obviously I, you know, went to a Christian boarding school, but after I left, when I came to the U.S., I, you know, deconstructed from Christianity. I'm no longer a Christian. And, you know, the same happened to Bill a lot, but probably in a different time frame. But this is not something that's unique to us, right? We're not outliers because... Um, studies have shown that in America specifically, more and more people are leaving the church. Um, the most recent study that I was able to find was from 2021, and it said that there was a 21% decrease between 2007 and 2021 from you know the number of people who are self-identifying as Christians. And you know if you just kind of pay attention to popular media, if you're out and about on social media. You can definitely see that this is the case. A lot of people are talking about, you know, leaving organized religion and specifically Christianity. So why? Like what? Before we talk about ourselves individually, like why do you think people are leaving the church? I think people are questioning and there's there's so many layers to it where I think it's easy for people when things are dire and things are not going well. Religion is a really... You know, when you don't have the answers and you're stressed, you need something to believe in to keep going. And religion helps. So in societies that feel like everything, there's a logical response or logical solution to a lot of things, then people don't feel the need to tie themselves to religion as much as we're saying Cameroon. You're hoping that, you know, one day the country will be better. They'll fix the roads. There'll be employment. Mm -hmm. And those things are out of your control. So there's more there's more room for people to hold on to to faith and believe that somewhere some this person is working to make these things happen for them mm-hmm. i would think so okay i mean i see it right so you're saying like basically when people feel less in control of their circumstances their, yeah, then they're more likely to lean more into religion yeah yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I agree with you. Um, I mean, look at, I want to say like, look at Cameroon today and the Cameroon we grew up with growing up in Cameroon where like the country has more or less gotten worse. Yeah. Um, We have just like, we primarily had the main Judeo-Christian, Catholic, Presbyterian, Baptist, sprinkle of full gospel and Seventh-day Adventists, but we didn't really have Pentecostal, um, Pentecostal churches as a thing growing up, like when we were much younger, they started coming up like in the late 90s, 2000s. And now when you go to Cameroon, they're just like everywhere. There's so many people going there. But I think that there's a correlation with things getting progressively worse and these mm-hmm. churches feeling feeling a need. Yeah. Like it's it's an, a market that needed, you know, yeah. there was a gap there and they're filling it in a way that the others yeah. did not. Yeah. So I was like, hopelessness is increasing. Yeah. And also you talked about, you talked about market It's a business, right? And people have realized that business opportunity, but to your point, that business will not be flourishing if people did not, you know, feel that need um, to go there. And I think we mentioned this in another episode, how like you go home and inside the quartiers, you know, like there'll be two apartment buildings in between. There's a church, you know, so it's definitely something that, you know, just anecdotally, like I've noticed over the years of, as, you know, uh, I've been going home. The lens people are willing to 
go. There's there's this one church. It's on the outskirts of Douala. I don't know how people come because I've never been there in the morning whenever their service starts. But a few times where I've been in Cameroon, coming back from Boya, maybe around four, that's when church gets out. It is so far out of town that no random taxi is driving there for no reason. Mm. So people have to walk quite a distance until they get to where there's life and population and then they could possibly get. But it's like, think about the fact that people are willing and if they're getting out at four, what time did they go? When did they start? So if it's spent all day and they're willing and they're going, it's just packed. It's a lot of people doing this every Sunday. Hmm. Is it like one of those Pentecostal churches? It is a Pentecostal church. Okay. I will give the Pentecostal churches this. They are very entertaining. Okay. You ain't falling asleep in those churches. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) You have not met people who. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we have talked about, you know, our early life, like boarding school, but wanted to talk specifically about, you know, our religious upbringing. Right. So I grew up. Um, in a Christian home. My mom is Baptist. My dad was Presbyterian. Um, And we did go to church with my mom, but it was not, it was just kind of a thing that you did. And then obviously when I went to boarding school, I've talked about on, you know, how it was very like, there was a lot of religious emphasis on, you know, religious behavior and this kind of indoctrination that now as an adult, I do not appreciate, but something happened when I started going to boarding school is that when I would come back home on vacation, my parents didn't make me go to church and I had no willingness to go to church. Like I, again, I believed myself to be a Christian back then. And I don't remember the excuses that I was making in my head. I was probably telling myself like, well, I'm in school for nine months. I go to church there every day. So surely I make it, I've made it up for this time when I'm on vacation and I'm not going to church. But in retrospect, I really appreciate that about my parents, that even though they themselves were churchgoers, um, they 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 never said anything, you know, disparaging to me about, you know, not they never insisted. It was just like, you know, at some point they, they just they didn't even ask. It's like, OK, we'll be back. And then they come back and we go to lunch. So. I, I definitely appreciate that. But when I look back now, that's kind of very different where, my, but where my deconstruction had already happened because outside of boarding school, where I felt that pressure, I had no desire to go to church. So that's, that's kind of my backstory before I came to the U S. So were you the only one, like did your siblings go and you were just the only one who didn't go? So my memory is really like failing me now, but you have to remember there was not a a whole lot of overlap, right? Because I went to boarding school and I was in boarding school for a couple of years with my older sisters. One left, we only overlapped for one year. And then the others, um, my, one of my sisters, she came to the U S like, you know, before, um, graduating from Seca. So I didn't overlap with her too much. And then my other sister, I, I really don't remember, but I want to say they were probably on and off. They, I don't know that they went, uh, more frequently than I, I don't know. I just know that, especially when I was the oldest one now in the house, yeah. I was definitely not going. Like when I was in high school, I was chilling on Sunday. Sometimes I would find a church channel and put on like those televangelists, but mm -mm. wow. 
I'm just trying. There was <laughs> so growing up, which is funny. I would say like when I was younger, I got baptized. So I was I was born and raised Catholic into a very, very Catholic family. And when I was I was baptized as a baby. But for like the first couple of years of my life, um, we my parents were not very religious. So on Sunday, we went to the beach, we went to Limbe Ooh. on Sundays for a while. Or when we lived in Yaoundé, we had like, sometimes we had like aunties who would take us to church. So we went to any church that we were going to that week and been to Presbyterian Church for a while. And then somebody also used to take us to the pool on Sundays. So when we made the switch, when my parents decided to be mature adults and start going to church on Sundays, I didn't like going to church for a while because um, they took away beach day. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. (laughs) They took away beach day. And then um, from then on, I, you know, I was very active in church. I went to, I went to Baptist school for one year. Then I went to Catholic school for a Catholic boarding school for six years. And two of those years, or maybe three, two of those years towards the end, I was the sacristan, which is like, um, I did, I worked in the church. I was in charge of like, um, putting out communion for mass, putting out mass wine. I'm going to call out my friend because I worked with my friend in the sacristy <laughs> and this girl, I will not call you, but I know you listen to the podcast. <laughs> so this is your shout out. She was drinking mass wine and I was, <laughs> she told me a few years ago because she was drinking it so much. It was noticeable. So I used to mark when I pour mass, when I pour out the wine for mass, I will mark it. This fool told me that she knew she would erase it. <laughs> Wait, so I have a question. Is mass wine just like regular wine from the store that they've poured into their shower? No. So it's they sell it, I guess, at like specialty Catholic stores. Oh, okay. um, it is alcoholic. It's like the alcoholic, yeah. but it's it's mass wine. Um, actually, my aunt and uncle brought us mass wine this summer. I don't think they knew. And <laughs> but yeah, so I worked in this in, in charge. I did all of that. So like, which was funny to a lot of people because even then I was not super religious per se. And typically people who worked in the sacristy or sacristians were typically like super, you know, mm-hmm. Jesus is you and I. I wasn't as very worldly, but I had a good job. So I was there for, <laughs> for a while. And then, um, but you talking about not going to church, in whose house? It wasn't optional. My brother, <laughs> you're talking about people who don't sleep in Pentecostal church. <laughs> I'm sure it's just because nobody took him there that he's not sleep. Because like when we got in the car to go to church, he was like, Chirpy talking as soon as we go to mass, like by introductory prayer, mass has started running. <laughs> and by the time they were doing it, oh, he was out and he was sleep through mass, which would upset my parents so much. But as soon as he got in the car, he was awake, he was ready. Like after mass, we go buy bread and go home. He was good to go. <laughs> and we went to the same boarding school. He slept in church so much, they made him a church warden. Oh, because that way he didn't sit down. Yeah. So he was in charge of like waking people up with sleep. 
So yeah, like because they hide and I'm like, if he was sleeping so much, like we should have just left him at home. There was no yeah, point. What's the point? It was because he got nothing out of that experience. Um, but yeah, even when I moved here, I, I would say I was on and off in church. And then I got very active in church, like my young adult years, my early 20s. I was super active. There is a there's a Cameroon Catholic community in Houston. So I was like. I used to sit, everybody knew I sat in church. I sat in the front row. I read in church. I was counting money. I was like, there. And what happened? I don't know. Life. <laughs> what happened though? So there was no like canon event. There was no like trigger or it was- There was. I think in 2016, it was, it was a collision of things. In 2016, I read a bunch of books. Um, I'm going to say Homegoing by Ya Gassi was one of them. Mm. I had a very a thriving book club at the time. And I think just reading a lot of those books, which were primarily like African historical type fiction and just reading and thinking back on like what, and I always wonder what pre, pre-colonial, pre-religion, like what African traditional societies look like pre pre-religion and then you had we know what happened in 2016 with that election and people who were looking at this man who won who was like a philandering gambling (laughs) uh bragged about sexually assaulting women and evangelicals were looking at him like you know that's our guy this is the messiah and the second coming it just didn't sit right with me and then i would go to church it happened before, but I think at that point it was just like, if this is the Jesus you serve, I don't want a part of it. Mm-hmm. Because you would go to church sometimes and uh, during mass, in Catholic mass, you give a sign of peace and you you shake hands with people. And you would see people actively avoiding, they don't want to touch you. And it was just like, what are we doing here? Like, if this is the way that people feel about, like, surely we are not worshiping the same Jesus if this is how you feel about this religion. And I'm just like, this is not what my ancestors were here for. So maybe it's time to to find something else because this this does not seem to be working. And then in 2016 also, there are a few, like, I think that was the year there was, like, maybe... Alton Brown in New Orleans. There was the Philando Castile in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. There were all these shootings. And it was like there was pressure on the church to say something. And it felt like they didn't. It's like, whose side are you on? You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, 2016 was was the year that everything seemed to everything fell apart at the same time. <laughs> and the thing about Donald Trump, right? And how uh, you know American Christians just rallied behind him. I remember not in 2016, but when he was running again against Joe Biden and Paula White, she held this prayer <laughs> as she was she was calling and, and I'm quoting. Coming, right? She said the angels from Africa. She was calling on angels from Africa to come and help Donald Trump win the election. So aside from what you've already said, how this man clearly does not embody any, you know, Christian behavior, right? He has spoken, you know, disparagingly about immigrants, about, you know, women, everybody, women, you know, disabled people. Yes. Made fun of disabled people. So it was baffling. I'm with you. It was baffling how people who call themselves Christians will be siding with this man. But the fact that 
Paula White, you're calling on angels from Africa to come and assist in the election of a racist white man in America. Like, what 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 the angels from Africa got to do with it? <laughs> like, and then after you said shithole countries. Listen, so I'm definitely, yeah, I'm with you on that. But, you know, I have thoughts about, you know, white Christian nationalism in America that we'll not even get to, maybe we'll get into in this episode, but... Yeah. So did you did you stop believing in Jesus as your savior or I mean in hindsight I feel like I'm I want to ask myself like what did I believe in to begin with? Right. Um because I would always look at people who were like very proud and declaring their faith and yes, I I would go to church and I believed in these things, but you know, when things are bad, it's like, but for real though, where are you? I also remember saying prayers while trying to convince Jesus to change his mind and say my point of view. So <laughs> that's probably a red flag. <laughs> um and it wasn't I don't I even to this day, I don't know if I would say that I stopped believing in Jesus. Or what I believe in. I might not even be able to define it. Mm -hmm. I just know that I think deep down what I would like to believe in and practice will be what what my ancestors practiced before. Because I don't like that everything that belongs to us was villainized and is bad and is of the devil. Mm -hmm. And so have I made more time to look? I mean, the information is hard to get considering we come from an oral history society. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to find books because then you're like, who wrote it? What's, yeah. what's the intent? But if I could find something, I would just, I mean, I just, I go by, you know, do right by people, you know, respect yeah. people, respect everybody's choices, be kind to people, yeah. do right and I mean, sometimes my morals are fluid, but for the most <laughs> part, it's just be a good person because there are people who are Bible thumping and other things. I, my sister and I always joke that like once a Catholic, you're always a Catholic. And there are certain things that I go by, like helping the less fortunate. And so, which is why my spirit and prosperity gospel are always at loggerheads because the way that I was raised is if you have more, give. But in our capitalistic, you know, or prosperity gospel, it's like God will bless you. And I always, as I saw these poor people who have been coming to church every day and tithing and doing everything, is it because they have done something or so, not done something? We're definitely going to talk about <laughs> prosperity gospel and tithing specifically, like in a little bit. Um, yeah, but for me, I feel like once I left Cameroon, right, and I was out of the clutches of boarding school and that kind of religious pressure, it just, it unraveled naturally. Because again, maybe I was never really a Christian. I don't know, because the speed, like I said, if I didn't even want to go to church when I was on vacation from boarding school, and then when I came now, the speed with which I just, you know, like abandoned everything. And I think fundamentally for me, like my worldview, this is how I think about religion, right? Religion, every single religion that exists and has ever existed is just people trying to make meaning of life, of the universe, you know. So for me, there's no one correct religion True. because religions are invented by people. We created our gods, right? We created our gods to explain, you know, natural phenomena, to explain life, the universe, to have hope, right? Yeah. So... I, I And I think that to be a Christian, you have to believe that Christianity is the one true religion. And I just don't fundamentally in my being, 
apart from all the other problems I have with Christianity, just fundamentally, I don't believe that as a person that any one religion explains, you know, the meaning of the universe. So that's the that's the first thing. But then as I started developing my, you know, feminist thinking and, you know, kind of grappling with how Christianity has been used as a tool to oppress women for centuries and centuries. And I just could not reconcile those those two things. And I could not just I could not see myself, you know, continuing to identify with that religion. And then, yeah, to your point, like you, as I started learning more about our colonial history and the part that Christianity played, not just in Africa, all around the world. Yeah in you know really stripping people of their culture and aiding in colonization i could not, not recognize um i don't know we're having a, a conversation at christmas and that we started talking about the portuguese i don't know why we're talking about it and that's when we're reading and Tosin found out like he started looking up and he was like, oh, the Portuguese came to Africa in the 1400s. I'm like, yeah, they were the first ones there. I was like, in Cameroon, we do know that because that's how we got the name Cameroon, which is, you know, Rio dos Cameros, which yeah. Cameros is prawn. <laughs> <laughs> and there were a lot of prawn in the river, where we, I guess, apparently. Mm-hmm. And so they, but the, the Portuguese were the first to conquer the world and they went everywhere. They the first missions Vasco da Gama and M were sponsored by the Roman Catholic Church, and they started taking slaves. Mm-hmm. And they were in the slave trade business for a very when people were colonizing. It was not their prerogative because they were making money off of the trade of human beings, and they were not in a rush to take any land because that was what. And if you think about it, they were in China. They were in Latin America and Brazil. They were they there's nowhere they did not go. Mm-hmm. And all of this started because they went conquest sponsored by who? The church. Yeah. Uh Christopher Columbus. Like when you read some of his, you know, I don't know if his journal entries or letters that they have from him, this man was he was a a a Christian, like he truly believed that the things that he was doing, as horrible as they were. He truly believed that he was doing the work of the Lord. Like when you read his writings and then you read like, again, letters and journal entries from um, officers who served under him. And they even back then they were like, this dude is fucking crazy. Like he is so cruel. He is, you know, killing and maiming people. But he was he legit like thought that he was doing the work of God. And I know that he, he was not unique. Just like you said, all of these, you know, quote unquote, explorers, these you know, colonists, these slave traders from early on, like they were, they were there with their Bible, their Bible and they're gone. Always. (laughs) Always. So that brings us to the next, you know, like segment. And I really want this, like I said, to be more like a question and answer, like, and some of them will be rhetorical questions. So I've talked about slavery and colonization. So Christians of African descent, then how do you negotiate with that history, right? The history of this religion that you belong to, how do you negotiate with the fact that it was so um, fundamental, right? In facilitating colonization, it was used to justify slavery literally from the Bible because in the Bible, slavery is endorsed. The God of the Bible in several places tells his people after a war to take slaves. There are laws in the Bible talking about, you know, 
how slaves should be treated, the terms that they should serve depending on their ethnicity. So the Bible does not mince words about its endorsement of slavery. And this was used in the justification of the transatlantic slave trade, you know. So my question, which we'll attempt to answer, but I want the listeners to ask themselves, how do you as a, a Christian of African descent negotiate with the history of, of your religion? So I know that when you asked yourself this question, it led to your deconstruction, but how do you think a Christian of African descent negotiates that? Like, how do they reconcile that and stay in their religion? I don't think you can't. I think that if you think about it, you have to like, you know, give that one up to somebody, like just (laughs) take a pass because there is no way. And like I said, that is something that I think that's one of the things that really hit me because I was reading all these different things. Maybe I might be wrong or right. There's a picture of, I mean, whenever we talk about colonization, I feel like the person who does not get the roses with all the thorns that he deserves is King Leopold. Mm. Um, Because the things that he got away with, and I just feel like he goes under the radar. Nobody, like... (laughs) They don't talk about him and <laughs> they don't talk about him enough not, in the way <laughs> that he deserves. But I saw a picture of a child who was being amputated because the father did something. And the people doing that, one of them was reading a Bible. And it's like, how do you justify, you know, treating other people like that when you're reading the Bible in in the New Testament where it says love your neighbor like yourself, how do you justify doing all these things to people? In the US, the Deep South, which is the Bible Belt, is also the same place where slavery was at its biggest and people were willing to go to war to make sure that they did not end slavery. So it's like, how can we be upholding this thing that I wouldn't want to believe, like if somebody was really wicked, right? And doing all these things to me, I would not want to be like them. That's the way that I look at it. Mm-hmm. Is it too simplistic? I don't know. But I just feel like these people who did all these things to us and then they told us that this is the way, the truth, and they're like, and we we're holding on to it so much. I always ask people, like, they brought the gospel to us. It was not a thing that we had. They told us how everything of ours was bad. And you had people literally changing their names, Um they stole our bronzes because they were demonic. Now they're in the museum mm. and did all these things. And then today you have the descendants of these people. A lot of them are not going to church and we want to re-evangelize them from this thing. How do you explain that? And nobody has ever really answered. So I'm also throwing this out to a listener. If you can help me break that down, because that's something that I think about a lot. How do you reconcile these two things? So I'll tell you what I hear or see more accurately in my TikTok comments, because I made a couple of videos where, not talking about this specifically, but where, you know, I've talked about um, I talk, Joseph Merrick, right? We have excerpts from his diary. He was a missionary um, who set up the first Baptist mission in Cameroon. And it was like a series of videos where we were talking about the early missionaries. And this is what African Christians have said to me in my comments, right? They always have the same response. Those people were not real Christians. I hear it again and again and again. Those people who held, yes, we know that slavery was bad, but listen, those people, they that is not Christianity. So this is what I hear from, from Christians of African descent all the time. They will separate 
you know, the bad actor from their religion, they'll say, no, this is just somebody who is using the name of Christianity, you know, to do harm. But, and I understand, I get what they're saying, but two points, like I said before, slavery is endorsed in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, you know, tells his people to take their war, their war captives as slaves, including sex slaves in the case of women and girls. Um, in the New Testament, there are several passages talking about how slaves should obey their masters. So you cannot really make that argument that, oh, these people were bad Christians because slavery is endorsed in the Bible, right? That's one thing. And then <laughs> the next thing is that how long can you make that argument, right? When, okay, now slavery obviously is illegal and everybody agrees that it is an abhorrent practice. But back then, there was a significant, if not a majority of the Christian population that thought it was okay. So are you still at that time going to say, oh, all of these people are not Christians? At some point, you cannot use that argument when there's an overwhelming number of people of that religion who believe this thing then at what point do you separate the people from the religion? Are the people not the religion? I'm also struggling with that. They were, they were all bad or they were not real Christians because the Christianity you have came from them. And so they were the people, we did not have Christianity. They brought it. It did not exist. This version you're practicing did not exist. So how do you... <laughs> It, it's not it's not making I'm not I don't understand it yeah and another let's just dispel this and I know that you know all of our listeners have this knowledge uh, I would hope they do but another thing I've seen on TikTok there's this popular video going around of this African man I don't know what country he's from but he's saying that he's a Christian and he's saying that Oh, people say that Europeans colonized us and brought us Christianity but Christianity existed in Africa long before. And let's just dead that right here. The places where Christianity existed in Africa prior to European contact were Ethiopia and other small pockets in North Africa, such as in Egypt. I hate, another thing I hate is when people are really dishonest like that. Like, no, let's stop it. If you are not an Ethiopian or again, somebody from those other small pockets of North Africa, if you are a Christian of African descent, your Christianity was came to you via colonization. And I'm not saying this to, to invalidate anybody's religion, right? I <laughs> So I, I don't think that it is necessarily contradictory for a person of African descent to be a Christian. You can, but you cannot deny the history of your religion, which I feel is what a lot of African Christians and Black Christians try to do. They try to do this mental gymnastics to try to to deny the the facts it's okay like you know there are many there are other religions that came to people via colonization including islam right in northern cameroon a couple of centuries before the christians came they were having a jihad up there and that's how those people became you know muslim so if your religion came to you via colonization that doesn't mean that you know it's invalid for you as a descendant of those people but it's just this denial of history is what really kind of gets me, you know, riled up. But again, we we want to hear um, your thoughts on that. So <laughs> this next one is a little bit more, I don't know, tricky. 
I'm going to ask you first. Is it possible to be a feminist and be a Christian? I feel like you'll be fighting for your life at all times. (laughs) (laughs) I think that there will be, you have to constantly rationalize things because the way that it is set up, um, it's not really set up for... (laughs) I mean, I don't know. The way that it is in popular culture, I, I cannot quote verses because I know that people always say like, you know, submit, you're supposed to submit to your husband. Although I think I've seen the full verse is like, everybody's submitting to each other, not in the way that they make it seem. Um, but I think it's also helpful to talk like there's religion and then there's also doctrine mm-hmm. in, in certain contexts. And I think a lot of it is a doctrine where you constantly have to be, fighting because it's like traditionally women do not do not have a place in in christianity Mm -hmm. and or even in islam today like women still have to go through the side door so it's like there's all these things where if you're you want to go from a basis of you know we are both equal Mm -hmm. um you'll be fighting fighting for your life you could explain it away but Every now and again, there are things that will pop up and you have to be ready to either rationalize it or fight fight through it. Yeah. And I mean, if you are a feminist and a Christian and you're listening, like I would really love to know your thoughts, right? And I bought this book on the recommendation of one of my favorite Bible scholars. The title is The Making of Biblical Womanhood by Beth Allison Barr. And I, I thought I was going to enjoy this book. I'm a third of the way through and I'm struggling to read it. Have you ever read a book and you are you are shouting, right? You are shouting because I talked about mental gymnastics and I want to be really respectful to this author because you know she's a she's a she's a historian and she's a professor, but there is a lot of mental gymnastics to me going on in this book, right? The full title is The Making of biblical womanhood, how the subjugation of women became gospel truth. So she's a feminist. She's a Christian feminist. She's the wife of a pastor. And she's trying to make the case that this lesser role, this doctrine that, you know, the man is the head of the household and the woman is supposed to submit to him and women are not supposed to be leaders in church and all of this, all of this that we know, right? She's making the case that this doctrine is a modern thing. And that fundamentally, Christianity is not a patriarchal and misogynistic religion. And like I said, she's doing some extreme mental gymnastics to justify that. She is trying to paint even Paul. She's trying to make him out to be this kind of radical, you know, person who believed in equality of the genders and she does. I mean, if anybody's interested in reading this book, I, you know, I would love to discuss it with you, but it is insane mental gymnastics. And uh, like I said, I'm a third of the way through the, the only convincing argument that she has made in this book is kind of what we were talking about earlier, like with slavery, right? She says that, okay, the Bible endorses slavery, but today we all know that slavery is bad. Christians agree that, you know, slavery is abhorrent, everybody's equal, you know, no race should be, you know, subjugated to the other one. So she says that if Christians can negotiate that right, they can kind of rewrite the rules of the Bible. Why can they not also rewrite the rules 
of, of the Bible that says that women are less than men, which is a valid argument, right? Because there are many things that are in the Bible that Christians simply don't do today because A, they disagree morally or it's inconvenient. Like last time we were talking, you mentioned the mixing Mixed of fabrics. fabrics. <laughs> yeah. I just thought about that because I was like, yeah, all the Christian influencer girl is showing us their sheen holes. Um, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to mix fabrics. You're not supposed to... Um, bake unclean animals. Uh, shellfish. You know, there there's rules and rules and rules. A lot of them are in the Old Testament that Christians today don't practice because it's impractical. But they still read it, though. <laughs> Uh, see maybe they can answer that question for us also and then there are things that so there are things that are impractical and then there are things that are immoral like the slavery right like there's and I I don't have the verse right in front of me but it's uh, along these laws again that says if a woman or a girl is sexually assaulted an unmarried woman or girl she has to be married to her abuser That, that you know so things like that that of course Christians today don't practice because they agree that it makes no sense. So in this book, the author is saying that, okay, you guys have negotiated all of these other things. Why do you continue to hold on to these things that say that women are, are less than you know men? So that that is the only thing that she says in that book that I agree with. But everything else, to me, again, it's mental gymnastics because. The origin story of Christianity is fundamentally misogynistic. What's the story? Why did Christ have to come and die? Because we are sinners. Why are we sinners? Because what do they call it? The creation myth of Christianity, right? That, And I'm not using myth in a disrespectful way. I'm just using it in, you know, like origin mythology. God created Adam and Eve and they fell into sin because the serpent told Eve to eat of the fruit of the, tr- the fruit of the tree of knowledge she ate and she gave to her husband, Adam. So Langa. it's it's already blaming a woman. The origin story of your religion is blaming a woman for the fall of, of man, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know how, again, as a feminist, like you can kind of negotiate that away because that's already the foundation for me. And I would love to hear from Christian feminists what you think about this. What do you think about the origin story, right? The the, the original sin. And then, <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous, but I think it's a valid point. Why is your God identified as male? You know? Nobody has seen, seen him. But we say he. <laughs> yeah, true. We say he and he had a son. Not a daughter. He didn't have a daughter, <laughs> right? So for me, those are kind of, fundamental questions yeah and it's almost like i don't even this is not maybe bible but you know the thing of you know when women have cramps or something it's like punishment for mm-hmm. original or like labor pains or something like why are you punishing well i was not there like we were not there why are you punishing all of us till today like we're the daughters like, of eve why are we justifying <laughs> and and then it's like, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman and like, I've not found the description of the man and what he's supposed to be other than like he leaves his uh, father's house. And, you know, sometimes people say, I saw somebody using this once where they were talking about last names, taking last names. Mm. And he said, he did not say that 
the man assumes the woman, so she takes his identity and takes his name. So the two become one. So how about you either choose a name that you use together? But <laughs> I mean, that taking the last name thing is from Victorian, isn't it? It's from women being treated as property, right? Yeah. You know, that's I mean, that's essentially where that tradition is from. Ah, uh, yeah, and then another thing that in this book, um, the author Beth Allison Barr, she. She tries to make the case that for its time, Christianity was this kind of radical religion that was, um, you know, egalitarian. And I will give her this. There are things that have been changed in the Bible to make it more patriarchal and, you know, misogynistic. But I think fundamentally it still is. So her trying to say that it was this kind of radical new religion when there are religions that predate Christianity where First of all, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, they are the minority in the sense that they are monotheistic, right? Most religions that exist and that have ever existed are polytheistic. And they have, a lot of them have male gods, they have female gods, they have gods that change gender. So Christianity really was kind of, I don't see how she's making a case that it was radical in that sense where it's like, okay, you only have one God and it's a male God. Like, what are you talking about? So kind of following along the lines of women, then I'll ask again, is it possible to be openly queer and be a Christian? And I'm saying openly queer, I want to clarify, I mean, a person who is out of the closet and accepting of themselves, right? Because there are people who are queer and they're, you know, they have not come to terms with that. (laughs) I mean, I've seen... Um, I think maybe it's like Episcopalian female priests who or ministers, are they priests? I think they're priests or ministers mm-hmm, yeah. who are women and they're queer and they're, I would like to know how they balance that. I think every time I've heard of, particularly in um, the Black Pentecostal Evangelical churches, um, every queer person says they are not, they, <laughs> they are no, no longer. Because I think Donnie McClurkin talks about how he used to, but he prayed the gay way or, or something similar. Like so speaking of um, Episcopal, right? When I went to the Houston Pride Parade last year, they had a, they were in the Pride Parade like the Episcopal church. And I forgot what their banner said. And I sent it to my sister because she goes to that church. And it said something like the, Epis- the something affirming Episcopal. And I was, I was super impressed. I did not know that there was like a denomination of mm-hmm. church that is that accepting. Um, but yeah, no, they were, they were there. They were in the pride parade. So some of them are quite progressive, but I don't know exactly how they preach around that. I know that they have ministers who are, I keep saying ministers or priests, I don't know which one they use, but I know that they do have queer mm-hmm. um, ministers in, in their church. That's the first one that came to mind because I think it only happened recently, like maybe in the last, since I've been in this country, mm-hmm. when they, they became more accepting. Um, I've noticed in... So in in the Midwest where I am, maybe just like in a major city, but I've noticed a lot of churches seem to be accepting. I don't go there, so I don't know what they do indeed, but like you'll find, you know, everybody's welcome. Mm. Um, They will have like pride flags Mm. and um, Black Lives Matter in a lot of the churches that I see driving around. 
Yeah, I, I mean, again, I don't go to church, so and probably Texas is not the place where you would see that. <laughs> but I do follow some ministers on TikTok who, um, you know, they do preach about being, you know, they're accepting and it's kind of, I think this is the, the philosophy that they follow. It's like what I was talking about before. It's like every modern Christian today, whether you admit it or not, you're not following everything that the Bible says. Mm-hmm. There are things that you have discarded because they're... We are all wearing polyester. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they are either impractical, immoral, or you recognize that they don't apply to this mm-hmm. day and age. So those ministers and those congregations who are queer accepting i think that is their philosophy is that it's all good and fine the bible says this but we are allowed to negotiate that um because we have negotiated all of these other things so why not this we recognize that there's nothing wrong with being queer so we're accepting but of course the majority of christians do not um They don't think that I way. mean the Catholic Church is bracing. I'm I'm I feel like in this lifetime we are going to see um people leaving the Catholic Church to start some other version of the Roman Catholic Church because Pope Francis recently um said they were going to have queer queer ministers or priests and the girls. The girls are in a tizzy. <laughs> um, but if we consider that the Roman Catholic Church in the U.S. is plagued by pedophilia in a way that the church in other places is not, it might be for the greater good of mankind. Because, like, I always tell people, like, for somebody, I spent a lot of time in and around the church growing up. I can confidently say, it, I won't want to say, quotes me that the church in Cameroon has its own problems with priests and it's not pedophilia. It is philandering. (laughs) (laughs) It is. (laughs) So um, I I had a classmate whose father was a priest. Wait, 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 wait. Her father was a Catholic priest or his His father father was a Catholic priest? Aren't Mm -hmm. priests supposed to be celibate? Didn't I just tell you that (laughs) quotes me, priests like because again, priests are like revered where we come from, right? Yeah. They they don't really engage with mass servants engage with a catechist. Um, all these other things, like the priest is not hands-on running the day to day. There are other people to do that. Yeah. So, like I said, quotes me, the priest in Cameroon is the CWA mother you should be worried about. <laughs> um, it's the older women. That's that's their problem. I like I know. Like I said, I know somebody personally, his father was, his father, well, this priest has passed away now, who was a priest. <laughs> I know of other people who have conceived with priests. Okay. Um, And like this, this person that I knew, like they only found out when we were like maybe from three or from four, they had, all their life, they told them different versions of like where their father was. <laughs> um, And he, he was conceived when his father was still in the seminary, but he went on to like Become a be priest. ordained a priest, but the relationship did not end. Oh. And so part of, the, and I know this because I love my dad, but my dad likes loves the tea and insisted on giving it to me. <laughs> um, even after he was born, you know, his mother's parents were, they were very obvious for obvious reasons. They were like, stop this thing. Mm. They insisted, and I I think in Cameroon, many a time, 
if you see a priest in an urban area and they send him somewhere remote, he probably did something as punishment. Like a lot of the time, when they send a priest to a really remote area, it's like punishment for something. And so they sent him to a remote area. They did not stop. She went against her parents to go visit this man. And on her way back, had an accident and passed away. Oh, and no. I think that just added added to the layers. And that's why they would not tell him. Yeah. And so I was kind of friends with him. And so I started talking to his father. I don't ask why. I don't even know how I entered. So this priest calls house one day. And I think he said it's his name. So I get on the phone when I finish. And my mother says, why is a priest calling you? And this yes, they tell me about she said I was so nonchalant. I said, it's my friend's father. And I walked away. <laughs> Wait, so the priest knew that you knew that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So she called, she said she called my grandmother because she said they didn't give her this person a parenting booklet. <laughs> she does not know how to handle it. <laughs> so she confirmed with my grandmother. And I don't know, they agreed. So they told a priest who was a family friend. So he comes to visit me at school. And he pulls me to the side. Like right there with his nieces, a bunch of us. He pulls me. He's like, so what is this thing you said to your mother? I said, hey, this, this is fine now. <laughs> <laughs> he said, so who knows? I said, I think this person, this one. Like it's coming out. <laughs> I don't know if it was. So he's like, can you not discuss it with anybody else, please? Lord. So <laughs> I don't I don't even know. Like when I think about it, I'm like, yes, I knew he was a priest, but it was his father. Well, it didn't it was, I was not ashamed. I was not, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, like you were oh not scandalized. My, or maybe it's because my father was also there giving me details. So it's like, this is normal. Now everybody knows. Yeah. It didn't feel like it was a secret. So, but the thing about you made a point about them moving moving the priests to remote areas as punishment, right? And that's funny in the context of what you're talking the, about. Them, not, yeah, yeah, not here. Them having, you know, relationships with grown women, obviously. I, I don't think priests should be celibate, celibate. Let them do what they want. But in the U.S. Yeah, no, that that's a different. There was, and I don't know, I mean, obviously they did the expose about the U.S. I don't know if it's happening in other Western countries where, and this is one reason why I despise the Catholic Church, because these priests were abusing children for decades and decades, the church will find out. They will not alert them. They will not turn them over to the authorities, right? They will basically blackmail, offer the money to the family, and then move the priest somewhere else. So it's like you know this person is harming children, harming people, yeah. And you're not going to fire him. You want to excommunicate him for status. Remove you don't want those people associated. Can you imagine? It seems in Cameroon they've removed a priest for less when he was saying that he was a Pentecostal for Etienne or something. He was having visions. They banned him from saying mass just for that. So, and I don't know why, like I don't know about in England or other countries, but it's I don't understand why why the church in America did this. Like, is it American called? Like, what what was the reason? But it, I don't think it 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 was just capped at the American whatever you call it, right? The what do they call it? The diocese, the different diocese. But it's like a lot of different but dioceses sure, in America. But that's what I'm saying. It must have got to the Vatican at some point, don't you that think they so? Knew. Yes, I think the Vatican knew because you cannot have that a problem on that scale. 
And the people at the top, the ogre at the top does not know. They must have known. I wonder how much I'm not, please, I'm not making excuses. Um, because it's, it's a scandal that we all know about. So what did they do from the top down at the time that they discovered? Because even till today, we are still learning stories of like yes. what happened and other things that happened. So I, I don't understand. Um, but I always like to tell people, not as a defense, to say that because the Roman Catholic Church is so big and America is America, this is the scandal. I think that there, when we go to different pockets, there's different versions of the different scandals yeah. in, in places. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, but back to the question, sure. right? <laughs> is it possible to be a feminist and be a Christian? Is it possible to be openly queer um, and be a Christian? I'll, you know, let the queer people answer that. But I'll say this back back to women, there's a school of, I don't know if they, you know, call themselves feminists because I know that a lot of black women don't like that term. Um, by the way, I disagree with that. White women don't own feminism. So I I I, I get where people are coming sure. from when they associate it, yeah. but I feel like, nah, like they fight back. fight back. But anyway, what I was saying is that there is a school of thinking, right, uh, among feminists or womanists or whatever we want to call them, who just fundamentally believe that, no, that it is against women's best interest to be, to associate with Christianity. Like, for them, that is the ultimate liberation. For women, you know, to, to, to not, to reject the church. So this person's not a feminist, but she said something that made me laugh. Do you know who Shira is? Sprinkle, sprinkle. So she's this dating coach who, to me, she gives a lot of bad advice, but her whole platform... Please, have you ever heard a dating coach that gives good advice? She's she's basically um, using empowering in air quotes. She's empowering women to demand more from the men that they're dating. She's one of these people who is like... divine femininity, girly. I don't know that she uses divine femininity, but she's basically saying like, you know, women should not date broke men. They should... She's one of these... Kevin Samuel, she is. She's... Kevin she's, <laughs> Samuel. She's one of these... Ex- Extreme, like you know, the man should be the provider. If he's taking you on this kind of date, mm. you should refuse. So I, I disagree with a lot of things that she says. But one day she was on live, right? And she's reading the questions and comments. And somebody asked her, "Shira, are you a Christian?" And without a beat, she said, "No, because I could never worship a man." The way I screamed, I said, "Shira." this is the only thing I've ever said that makes sense like it was so funny like the way she said it just very matter-of-factly she's like no because I could never worship a man and it's back to a fundamental question that I asked before why is your God identified as male and my answer is that because he was created by men for men true to uphold men (laughs) so that's my answer but I'm curious what the girlies have to say. And I'm asking this with all of their respect, right? I'm not, you know, bashing. disparaging or bashing anybody. But if anybody wants to take a stab at that that question, that is my answer. Um, okay. So <laughs> earlier you mentioned prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. And for me, prosperity gospel is what happens when capitalism and Christianity have a baby. <laughs> It is, it is the the child of 
capitalism and Christianity? I I want to say because you know, like we're talking about like market share opportunity. <laughs> so I guess that's the capitalism aspect because I think that is like it's a niche where you saw the opportunity for desperation and an opportunity to capitalize on people's desperation. Mm-hmm. But but at the end of the day, it's all about the Benjamin. So yes, it is capitalism having a child with mm-hmm. religion. What the influences are will be the desperation. So yeah, you are right. Yeah, because I mean, it, it does prey on hopeless people, but I feel like it's so common now. It's it's there are people who are very well off who subscribe to prosperity gospels, you know, because they believe that they tithed and they got it from their blessings. Um, there's so many things about prosperity that's just even beyond the prosperity. There was a thing, you know, like somebody suffers something, an accident or something, and the first thing is like, ah, I'm so blessed that it didn't happen to me. Oh, I think that. It's such a, like, do you think that this person did not pray enough? That's why it happened to them or just, but my big issue with prosperity gospel is just like, it thrives, prosperity gospel thrives in communities and places where there's despair. Like it's with the people who don't necessarily have and they need, and that's where it really thrives. My problem with prosperity gospel is that ultimately it's blaming poor people for their circumstance. Mm-hmm. And maybe not even only poor people, ill people. Because what is the teaching of prosperity gospel? It's saying that essentially you can, if you are a good Christian, if you pray. You have to sow a seed. You know, and you give, you know, materially. You sow to- a seed. <laughs> they don't use such language. Okay. <laughs> You, you sow a seed, quote unquote, aka giving material to God via the pastors. How convenient. But anyway, if you do this, then you are essentially blessed in like, right? You're, you're sent, essentially blessed with wealth, good health, and all of this. So they believe essentially that, you know, you buy it. Essentially, you, yeah. you buy your way into good life. But when you look at it on the surface, it seems. It might seem innocent, right? Just saying, you know, pray for this, pray for wealth, and you will get it, and so we see that all of this. But then what does that say about the people who are struggling? And have been struggling for 30 years as members of your church. Does that not mean that then there is something faulty with their faith? Yeah. Or maybe with their works, as Christians call, you know, their behavior, their their whatever, right? It's essentially blaming poor people for their condition. And then you could extend that to anything, to people who are in chronic illness, right? Where is your healing? You've been going to church and your healing is not coming. Because if your gospel is saying that do this and you'll get this, if somebody does not have this thing, it means that they did not do something. And that's my issue with it. And then I agree with you that it preys on people. Um, That was that pastor. I just showed you the video. Which one? Mike Todd. Yes. There's a video of that guy. He is, what's his name? Mike Todd, right? He's on, you know, giving a sermon and he is telling, you know, preaching about why it's important for his congregation to give, to give money. And he's essentially bullying his congregation saying, how can you expect God to bless you when you are being stingy with God? And this man is standing on a stage He's wearing what appears to be very expensive jewelry. He wears, they've, they've priced that. There was a TikTok account pricing their items now. He's wearing an off-white 
sweater. They and, always wear designer sweaters. And yes. off-white, like the brand, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- this is a very, very, uh, rest in peace, Virgil. It's a very, very pricey, you know, so you're standing on stage in your designer outfit, head to toe, and you're berating yes, your no. congregation. It is money for next week's outfits. You're berating people about not giving or not giving enough. Like for me, there's just something, and I really want to know from the Christians who maybe are part of similar um, churches and congregations, how does that sit with you? Because if Jesus, Jesus, if he came back, he gonna have problems with all y'all because remember y'all were doing money doubling at the church door. And he flipped them tables. <laughs> I mean, it's the same thing in Houston. Remember during Harvey in 2017 when Hurricane Harvey and Joe Austin had to be shamed and bullied into opening the doors of his church so people who had, whose houses got flooded could have somewhere. This man that. said, what did he say that he got flooded? And I said, it's impossible. I've been to that church. It is impossible because it sits very high up. The water did never climbed that high. For them to the basement, the garage would have been flooded, but nothing else in that church got water. I remember. And why should you have to be shamed? You are sitting there using that building and it's tax free because you know you're a church. You're not paying taxes or anything. You're getting tax free money every week, and you cannot help the less fortunate. Yeah. In crisis. That that, that I, I just again, if we look at the Jesus as described in the bible he will not recognize the church that is here today because it's all vibes he i don't i don't think he would be a capitalist you no. know i don't think he would be wearing off-white and jewelry and you know and i'm not saying this to judge like okay you people should go and be impoverished everybody likes nice things please but... i was raised catholic <laughs> they said that you are taking vows of poverty and his servant leader should be lead by example and poverty is like the flashiness is not really the thing that we were looking for, which is what I struggle with. I might not go to church, but to me, it's just like, if you're a preacher, I'm not saying that you should be destitute, but it's just the flashiness and the constant need for material things is not the way that I look at my religious leader. Uh, well, anyway, I mean, I like nice things, so I'm not going to judge you anybody. Not, you are not even going to church. So. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm not going to judge anybody, but I'm just saying that it seems what what I have a problem with is trying to shame and guilt people, people into giving. Into giving, the people who have money, let them give their pastors money all they want. That's fine, but don't go up there and start berating and bullying people and telling them that they're being stingy and they're not being blessed because they're you know they're not giving God what is His. Like, let's be fucking for real. I I used to go to Lakewood once upon a time. There is there are two sermons at Lakewood. There's one before Offertory. There's like a whole 30 at the time, there was like a whole sermon geared to empty your, you know, oh, yeah. releasing, relaxing your pockets to give, which is just like every Sunday you have to give and tell people. And I'm just like, it should come from the heart. Like, why is this so much emphasis on and I'm not like I said, it's I'm not judging, but it's hard for me to wrap my my head around it mm. because it's like how are you? It's like, even when I'm giving like charity donations or whatever, I go on charity navigator to see how much of the money is spent on overhead and how much is spent on the actual mission. And so it's like, if you're 
the pastor and you're paying yourself, I don't think that, like you said, capitalism, this is not where you're not here for profits to be making so much money when there are literal people in your congregation you are taking money from to get these things. Like, shouldn't be a loop of let all of us yeah. making it work for everybody. I don't know, but I'm not going to be in anybody's building anytime soon. So <laughs> I'm going to set this one out. And if this is your thing, please help me understand. Yeah. And um, just because he has been trending in the news, you want to talk about your fave? No. Because I just, where do you start and begin? Like, I'm going to say that the first time I ever saw him in person was at Lakewood. That says everything that you should know. Like, there are two sides of the same coin. They, they, they're like pastors, but a lot of the money, they write books and they do all these things. CD Jakes. Yes. You saw him at Lakewood? Mm-hmm. Oh. Let's cross over. <laughs> <laughs> a collab. Yeah. And he was, at, he was at Lakewood. And so it's like they make a lot of money. They would say that they don't make, it's not from tights, right? It's from books and it's from recorded sermons. But who's buying it? Mm. Um. So if you're not aware... C.D. Jakes was trending in the non-Christian media spaces recently because, you know, this whole thing came out about uh, Mm -hmm. P. Diddy being an abuser. And then C.D. Jakes, um, I guess, is he I don't know if he's friends with P. Diddy, but I've seen a picture of them together and allegedly T.D. Jakes used to go to P. Diddy's parties. Allegedly. Allegedly. And, you know, of course, with all that we have heard, you know, P. Diddy's parties were places where, you know... Orgies, allegedly. And listen, if T.D. Jakes is listening, as long as everybody in that orgy was a consenting adult, I love it for you, sir. I love it for you. You know, where we don't love it for you is if there were minors there or if anybody was, you know made to do something against their will anyway these you know kind of mixed rumors came out about td jakes and then i watched a video of him recently he was giving a sermon you know obviously it was some sunday recently and he was saying he was denying the allegations but then he goes on to say even if i did it all i have to do is ask for forgiveness because that is that is what the blood of the lamb is for grace and that really disturbed me. There's something very disturbing about that. I, I've I don't know. A, I've heard a version of that before where there's a pastor who's caught in some mess and immediately they said they have grace because they're covered by grace or something similar. It, I find it such a disturbing. And of course, again, I want to emphasize that he was denying the allegations. But then to add that, even if it's true, I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb and all I have to do is ask for forgiveness. It sounds, it, it's giving it's a little bit of guilt. It's, it's not only giving guilt, but it's, it's also very arrogant. Um, it's <sighs> because it's just like, okay, even if I did it, sir, you're being accused of abuse. What are you talking about? Like, why are you being so nonchalant? <laughs> I don't understand. Because he's he knows his congregation also. Um, I, I don't, there was somebody told me about a sermon where a pastor was saying, like, even if. He did something. He knows that his congregation will not believe and they will, you know, pay for something. A lot of them know, they know their congregation. They know their congregants and they know the hold that they have on. on... This this is true, right? And I, I, I really hate to be talking about TikTok again, but clearly my life revolves around this. There was an attorney, no, she was a prosecutor 
And she was talking in a video about how when she would have um, men in the church who were accused of abusing, you know, younger uh, people, right? So child abuse, essentially, and she would be going to make the case against him to prosecute them. The pastors of those churches used to call her and say, oh, he has asked for forgiveness. He has changed his ways asking her to drop the case. And she said it used to get to the point sometimes where they would send their congregation to harass her, Mm -hmm. to protect abusers. And this is something that not just in the Catholic church, there was another expose done on the um, Southern Baptists where youth pastors were rampant abuse. And this is my problem with not just Christianity, but these huge organized religions is that it is just a safe space for abusers because you put these leaders and most of the time it's men, you put these men in places of power where they have access to victims and, and they then coerce them. They coerce them. And then even when it comes out, people make excuses. Yeah. People defend them. Touch not my anointed. It's like that that's that's another like huge problem why even after I left, so I mean this happened for multiple reasons, but even after I left Christianity, I, I don't ever see myself going back to any other organized religion just because when you just dig a little deeper there's abuse in all of these places every single one anywhere that you have people in power and particularly men there's abuse happening there every religion everyone there are stories i've heard about buddhism and every religion you can think of what's that one i watched there was this one on netflix she the raj i have to look for it was it a cult or a religion? Yeah, it was a cult. <laughs> I love me some cult documentaries. <laughs> no, that they were wild. Okay, so to wrap it up, right? What what are your current beliefs? Like, are you just floating? I would say that I'm floating. I'm probably floating somewhere between, like, we're talking about agnostic and like nihilism, mm-hmm. because I sit firmly in the territory of we're all going to die and everything is nothing. But we're going to die now. What what what, what will happen after I, that? So, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why I think the nihilism comes in because I'm always thinking about just like death. We're living, like all these things that we're doing. Um, recently, what I got into, I'm like all these things that you're doing, right? Like. You buy a house. You're so proud of this house you bought. You're taking care of it. You might leave it to children who don't care. As before, they have even put, put you inside the thing. They're calculating when they're going to list it because they don't care. <laughs> you know? not, there are not a lot of people that are going to be remembered two generations down. So all these things that we're doing in life, you say you're building legacy. We are not, listen, the Rockefellers and Carnegie's of this world, it's not many not that many of them. <laughs> a lot of us will be forgotten. This is me going off tangent. It's where I just come back to like everything is nothing. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I think the only thing that I think gr- grounds me is just trying to be a good person, be kind to others, help people when I can, where I can. Um, and be considerate, like what I believe, you might not believe in that, but that doesn't make me bad or you bad. Mm. Um, respecting everybody and respecting their values as long as they're not hurting anybody or hurting me. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I don't think that you need religion to be a good person. I think we've, we've seen many cases where religion causes people to be the worst version of themselves, whether that is starting wars or, yeah. you know, yeah. like, yeah, so... 
Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. It's like I, I don't you don't need religion to be to be to do the right thing. My friend says that a lot of people are shooting case Christians. They don't they don't necessarily he doesn't think they believe in it. But should they die and it was, you know, religion was right, then you know they are covered. But it's not (laughs) (laughs) but just in case. So like they're just they're doing just enough where like if heaven and hell and all those things are real, then they're covered by their belief. But it's not that they really believe, it's just just in case. And I said, you know what, you're probably onto something because there might be people who have these similar questions. But if, you know, something that has been drilled into you over and over, you have it. It's not easy to just wake up one day. If you're not a natural, you don't question things and you just go and go and go. And think about the society in which we were raised, where it's just everything we're told to do. You know? Yeah. Especially those of us who went to boarding school, we are sheep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they tell us when to wake up, tells when, you know, there's a bell. And think about it. There was a bell for everything. What is a lemming? <laughs> We're just following. And we don't necessarily question anything. Mm. And so to start questioning, it's not easy to just start questioning when you've never, you were not conditioned to question. You were conditioned to follow. Follow the rules. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are uncomfortable with where you are, right? Which is just saying, you know what, I don't know. I don't know the answers and, you know, being fine with that because for some people, if they question and then they leave that religion, there must be something else, right? So it's uncomfortable to just be in that space. And then I'm going to be honest, I feel like I disagree with your friend who thinks of the shooting case. I think there are a lot of people who don't even think about the afterlife and they're just participating for the sense of community. True. Because as much as, you know, the church has many, many problems, it does provide community. Um, That's one of the very few things good that I can say about the church is that, you know, it does provide community. So I think that there are people who are there have put aside those questions because the community is more important, right? The family and you know especially so like i would say like especially in the south where you know for black families the church was everything yeah i saw a tweet recently people were sharing like even them being able to get athletic scholarships or summer enrichment programs like there was never a time like if there was a cost and they their families could not all you had to do was go to the church and it's like say less and you know, church people, when they are determined, mm-hmm. they will get it done. And so for a lot of kids growing up who could not afford, say, like tournament fees for like different sports, the churches were what signed them up into these leagues and took them. And so without churches, almost like, where do you find this community again for, mm-hmm. for yourself and for your children, which is hard. Yeah. Yeah, no, that I will give. And this church right here across the street from my house um every it's certain one day of the month they have a food drive so those are things that and they do a lot more in the community right so those are kind of things that within their immediate community churches do a lot of good however the the, other. <laughs> yeah the other thing the other side of the coin yeah the, the other things that are happening you know the ostracized ostracizing uh, gay people, um, you know, the abuse that is being covered up, you know, these these other kind of things for me, it overshadows the good. Um, that, that but I definitely see why, you know, there's there's definitely community there. I'm not going to I'm not going to downplay downplay that part. So 
for me, I yeah, I, I definitely think I'm an agnostic in the sense that I don't think there, like I said in the beginning, there's no answer, right? We don't have the answer. I'm not denying the existence of a greater force. Yeah. Um, the explanation of that force as given by the Bible for me is unsatisfactory, you know, because it's based on a patriarchal structure and it tells me as a woman that, you know, I'm a second class human being. Also fairy tales. Somebody said that the Bible is the biggest fairy tale. And what we don't realize is like even the, the way that it's organized and arranged, it's not necessarily in chronological order. It's just like the order in which people saw fits, you know, maybe for the most impact at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like there's you hear people arguing about the King James version, new inter- there's actually a Catholic version of the Bible, it has extra books. Yeah. And people and those the are Ethiopian favorite. Orthodox Bible also is different. Those are my favorite. Those books that are not in the those are my favorite. They were really nice stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sirach had so many stories with like anecdotes and lessons learned from I don't know why they didn't include them because they used to be at some point and they were taken out. And so it's just like, it feels like a work of fiction. But for me, that's not, I I don't think that makes the lessons less impactful. They're very valid. Um, Um, My favorite Bible as a child came from Jehovah Jehovah Witness Church. My book of Bible stories. Did you ever have that? No, my mom used to drive away those Jehovah Witness people when they would come to the door. I don't know where my mom bought it, but it was it was like the best. It was like for kids, it had graphics with Bible stories. And oh. so it was like, you know, the story of um Delilah and Samson, yeah. the the plagues. It's just like and which to this day I can remember some of those pages and those stories just because of like that vivid imagery. Yeah. But no, I agree with you, right? I don't treat the bible as as if the okay so i'm i'm gonna say this i've learned a lot about the bible since i started taking more of an academic approach the bible is very very interesting if you really take it for what it is and you just put aside this notion that it is quote-unquote the word of god there are so many things you learn when you listen to bible scholars for example the exodus as described in the bible the overwhelming majority of Bible scholars agree that that is not historically accurate. The, the Exodus as described in the Bible didn't actually, there's no archaeological evidence to support it. Like it just, it's just not supported. So in part, the Red Sea. So I'm not even talking about that part. I'm talking about like the the amount of people that they're describing who were supposedly enslaved in mm-hmm. Egypt and then left. The Bible scholars are like, no, this is just something that they made up to fit a narrative. Like, so you learn things like this. And if you're open to not being offended, I really encourage people to like, just take an intellectual curiosity. The Bible is really, really interesting. And to your point, how the texts were selected to be in the Bible, how they have been changed. Why did this translation, you know, um, get chosen over over that one? Um, yeah, I don't, you know, put any stock in the historicity of the stories in the Bible, but I think some of them are useful as moral guides. Um, but I'm kind of, I'm not necessarily floating. I've found a home in new age, kind of new age occultic, um, which is not a religion. It's just kind of a spiritual practice, right? I I do a lot of astrology 
because I'm just curious about the universe and astrology just adds a mystical aspect to the science of astronomy, which mm-hmm. I find astronomy to be interesting. So, and then I use other kind of new age things, but yeah, I, I'm very okay with saying that. I don't know. Um, I don't know the answer. I'm, you know, I'm learning about different spiritual beliefs, but I don't ever see myself joining another kind of organized religion for the reasons that I said before. Yeah. Same. Yeah. And I'm going to say this about, because I follow some teachings in this community, the manifestation girlies, as I like to call them, these kind of new age, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. The manifestation girlies, I'm going to be very honest. They are just prosperity gospel preachers. Yes. They are prosperity gospel preachers without the Christianity. The manifestation girlies, some of their teachings are harmful. No, it's true because some of them are teaching the same thing that says, you know. Everything I have for. Yeah. If you, you can manifest anything that you want, if you put out good energy. So you're try- what are you telling the poor person? What are you telling the sick person? Yeah, my energy. Is, yeah, it's not good. It's like they are responsible for their, you know, their situation. So this kind of new age teachings, I I take them in moderation, and I take them. I was my sister and I were talking about this. Like there are certain those teachings apply only to privileged people. Yeah, you know, and I acknowledge that as I adopt those practices, because I can say, oh, I manifested, I, this I manifested this thing. I was telling my sister, she was laughing at me. Um, My job that I got last summer, I did a ritual. <laughs> the, the weekend before my interview, it was a full moon in Sagittarius. <laughs> I did a ritual. Yeah, yes, I was outside under the moon. I did a ritual and this was summer of 2022 and I got the job. Right. So my sister was happy at me because I was telling her that I did this ritual and I got the job and I'm saying it. But of course, I recognize I, I, I was not somebody that walked off the street with no knowledge and they just gave me that True. job because yeah. I did a ritual. No, True. Yeah. I was qualified for the job. So it's that kind of thing. Like I do these things. It's more of a mental yeah, you know, yeah, true, yeah. very true. Yeah, I'm not gonna go to a, a destitute person, a poor person, and tell them, "Hey, Manifest. if you do this ritual that I did, you're okay, yeah. you're gonna get a job." No, because that would be very irresponsible of me. Because I recognize that I have the privilege to use these things and to say, "Okay, I got this because of my positive thinking, because I manifested yeah. it." You know, so I take those things with a grain of salt, and that's why I will never preach it to anybody seriously. Like everybody should find that thing that works for them. Yeah. Okay. Well, listeners, we want to know your thoughts. Um, I want to hear particularly the points that we discussed, right? Um, from Christians of African descent, from feminists, from queer people. The question we're asking is how do you negotiate or how do you reconcile not only the history that Christianity has done the harm that that religion has done. And in some cases that it continues to do, um, how do you reconcile that and remain, you know, in that religion? And if you are on this side of the heathen fence, hey, I'm not heathen <laughs> or if you're, if you're not, you know, you used to be 
identify as Christian and now you're floating or just asking yourself questions, we'll also like to hear from you mm-hmm. and share if you don't mind sharing your stories on how you, you got to where you are today. Yes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and review us wherever you're listening. Please, if this episode offended you, um, don't review. Don't don't review, I beg. <laughs> Just come to our DMs or our comments and insult us there. <laughs> and until next time, any man for yourself, God for you all. <laughs> Literal translation, everybody for themselves and God for all of us. So I think that is very apt. I don't like that saying because it is kind of selfish, but I just thought it was boundaries now. <laughs> oh, you see like boundaries. Yeah, like any boundaries. You know, like you're, I use it sometimes, like when you're trying to tell somebody something and you're, it's like my version of if you like it, I love it. Like if uh, I'm telling you something, at the end of the day, any man for yourself, you're gonna do you're gonna do what's best for you mm-hmm. and God will take care of everybody. So Okay. And I, I guess if I can reinterpret to fit this episode, right? Any man for yourself. So everybody believe what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the I God, guess. if there's a God out there, they'll be for all of us. <laughs> Hopefully. Or or yeah. some of us will find out in hell. <laughs> <laughs>